Welcome back to Top Track, the weekly podcast that analyzes and scrutinizes your favorite albums from the rock and roll library, alphabetically, one letter at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andrew Mull. And I'm Matt Tessier. There may be many great songs on the album we're going to do tonight, but there can only be one top track, Matt. And you they're going to battle it out on the beach tonight. <laughs> That's right. Like beach bums. That's right. The... Uh, the album that we're doing is the Beach Boys' 1966 Pet Sounds. A minor album in, in the pantheon of rock music. Um, you know what I love, Andrew? That when we were doing this, we decided to do this alphabetically. We did Aerosmith. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, and then we made a conscious effort to kind of like avoid the Beatles because I think subconsciously it's too intimidating, a lot of expectation. And what do we do? We go and choose the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds instead. Nobody really has the courage to embark on such a monumental task, quite That's true. like you and I. I mean, so, we're pretty much heroes, ain't true? <laughs> and you know our format. We take uh, an album. Uh, usually it's a, it'll be a rock and roll album, but it may vary from genre to genre. But what we do is we take the entire track listing, and one by one, we whittle it down to what we think is the top track. So... Like last week with Aerosmith, we landed on Living on the Edge. Is that where we landed? I think I uh, I chose Crying. Was it Crying? Was you that chose one? Living on the Edge, yeah. Okay. So we didn't quite sync up, but we came pretty darn close. We came really close. So we're not canceling the show yet. No. But consensus-wise, Living on the Edge was the winner. That was the one. That was the top track. May not have been yours. Right. But we had to compromise. We had to give. We each had to give a little. <laughs> we did. So we did. It was a beautiful moment. Yeah, it was. And we'll see if uh, in, we'll in see a, if we'll be able to do that again tonight, or or if uh, this is the second and final show. What are you drinking? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So this is um, Flying Tiger Brewery's Burma Blonde Lager. Mm. Uh, this is from uh, Monroe, Louisiana. Ever been up there, Andrew? I have a few times. Okay. Yeah. Nice Very little familiar. quiet town. It is. It is. They have a brewery up there, huh? They do. Uh, Flying Tiger. Flying ti- yeah. Every, every town has a brewery now. It's a good time to, yeah. to be alive if, you, <laughs> if you're into beer Yeah. Uh, or comic book movies. When I was a kid or teenager, there were no breweries. I mean, you didn't have your choice of 100 different beers in no. one region. Now you do. Right. Like your, your fancy uncle might have drank Rolling Rock or something or Heineken. If he That's, was extra fancy. No, no, no. You got to go way, way back. Way back. Before that, it was like Lone Star or Stroh's or Milwaukee's okay. Best. So old Milwaukee. So, yeah. You gotta that's, go back. that's how y'all rolled in Texas, man. <laughs> but here, uh, okay. we had to settle for things like uh, Dixie. What's the one that's kind of become, that started off as sort of a mid-range beer and now it's sort of the trendy hipster is it new paps blue ribbon the blue ribbon winner pbr yeah which uh i'm sure if we dug in we'd find a blue ribbon somewhere in its past that was actually awarded but who knows there should be a blue ribbon on this album we're doing tonight i feel like well um nice segue uh i think that there there have been in fact okay so let's let's set the stage a little bit and feel free to jump in at any point but beach boys were a band that that started in about 1962, a bunch of teenagers, uh, a family affair, if you will. They had the Wilsons, Brian, Carl, and Dennis. 
And then you had Mike Love, uh, one of the cousins of, of, of the Wilsons. And they were, they started off as a garage band there in um, Southern California. And then of course... And they're under the tutelage of Murray Wilson. Yes. Uh, a, 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 real nice, a real nice, well-adjusted fellow. Right. If I, if right. I, if, great if, great yeah. father. Yeah, Died. pretty laid back, <laughs> like like a dad of a beach boy would be. And uh, and so they went on to uh, a lot of success, of course. Most of the songs you know uh, by the Beach Boys were probably from that first few years. Things like uh, Surfing USA, Fun, 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 California Girls, the hits. But then 1966 rolls around, Brian Wilson... Uh, starts to feel his creative juices flowing, I think. Maybe feels a little bit of competitive juices as well, some pressure. And he's competing with the Beatles, right? That's that's how the uh, story goes, yeah. So he puts together this iconic album, Pet Sounds. Brian Wilson around 1964, 65, he's slipping more and more into uh, whatever mental... Um, illnesses that he's that he's slipping into he um stops flying stops traveling and mm-hmm. so therein lies uh somewhat of a logistical difficulty for the beach boys who are uh, a touring juggernaut brian wilson refuses to tour um and so he kind of shacks up at home and starts writing some new music while the boys are off in japan and uh, other far off places and uh i think he's definitely uh, trying new things, um, experimenting with new sounds, uh, getting together with Tony Asher, the lyricist who did uh, a number of successful jingles of the time. So it's an interesting time in the Beach Boys history. Uh, so this is 1966, and I'm looking at their Wikipedia page. This was their 11th album in four years. In four years? In four years. Wow. And remember, okay, last week when we were talking about Aerosmith, Get a Grip, I think, was their 11th album. And that was a good 20 years or so after they started. So the Beach Boys cranked out 11 albums in four years. I mean, so but that's how it was in the 60s. You, yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd churn out an album about every three or four months, right? Yeah, these guys were prolific. And, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of pressure from the uh, record companies. Um, I think they were contractually obligated to put something out right before this. Uh, Beach Boys Party, which was uh, mainly uh, an album full of covers, and then I think so. Yeah, it was it was an interesting kind of it's bookended by some interesting kind of phoning it in moments. But this is not a phoning it in moment. Definitely not. But if you were okay, if you're a band now and you put out an album, and then four months later put out an, another album, I mean, my reaction would be like, "Hey, calm down." Yeah. <laughs> You're not that good. You don't have that much good stuff. Right. It's not just falling off trees. Right. Chill out for a few minutes. But I think, I mean, the Beatles were doing the same thing. The Beatles were releasing two or three out. Well, maybe not three, but at least two albums a year, one around the holidays and then one, you know, mid-year. So, I mean, that's, yeah, it's just how things were done back then. Like, I I don't think this was uh, as critically acclaimed as it is now, like when it came out. Just really quickly. Um... The Times put out 100 Best Albums of All Time. It's ranked number one. New, New Musical Express put out Top 100 Albums of All Time. It's ranked number one. Mojo's 100 Greatest Albums of All Time. It's ranked number one. The Guardian, 100 Best Albums Ever. This is number six. Uh, Rolling Stone, 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. It's number two. The Observer, the 50 Albums That Changed Music. It's number 10. Uh, and so on and so on and so on. Uncut, 200 Greatest Albums of All Time. It's ranked number one. Pitchfork, number two. 
Contemporary reviews, though, I think were a little mixed. Um, it sounds like what you're saying, uh, a lot of people didn't really quite know what to make of it. Um, and I think it took, um, I think it took several years for this to hit some type of, I guess, universal acclaim because it was case in point, the, this was released in May of 1966. Capitol records issued a greatest hits in July of 1966. So that's how much they thought of it. Right. Two months later, and they're already releasing a greatest hits package that included zero songs from from pet sounds is that right um yeah but yeah and not a lot of confidence there from the record label itself or the beach the rest of the beach boys true um do you do you know of any particular beach boys there's a tall guy with red hair what's that guy's name <laughs> the guy that likes to wear baseball hats and tuxedos that's the guy what what a look by the way i wish i could pull that one off okay I, all right we we made it 10 minutes before I, i'm gonna do this <laughs> We're, of course, referring to Mike Love. Mike Love, like I was saying uh, at the beginning, was the cousin of, 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 Brian, of the Wilsons and lead singer and probably lead co-writer for their first several albums. You mentioned Tony Asher, but um, he really came in on this album. But prior to that, Mike Love was the preeminent That's right. lyricist and co-writer. So maybe his feelings were just hurt that, and, and really what we're talking about is Mike Love definitely did not like the direction the Beach Boys were taking with Pet Sounds and fairly or unfairly uh, credited with saying, don't fuck with a formula. Have you heard that quote? <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but that sounds like the Mike Love I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. So this is from Beach Boys Accept Award <laughs> For the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, this is this is Mike Love, and he's wearing. This is on YouTube. If anybody wants to go find it, he's wearing a tuxedo with a hat that looks like like he's a World War II veteran. I don't okay. know. Okay, <laughs> and I think it's maybe it's a NASA. Wonderful hat? to be here tonight, but I also also think it's sad that there are other people who aren't here tonight, and uh, those are the people who have passed away. Those are the obvious ones. But the other not so obvious ones are people like Paul McCartney, who couldn't be here tonight because he's in a lawsuit with Ringo and, and Yoko. That's what he sent a telegram to, to some uh, high-priced attorney in this room, you know? <laughs> now that's a bummer, because we're talking about it's harmony, right, in the world. If we can't get it together in America and in England in harmony within our groups, I mean, believe it. You can believe it. The Beach Boys have their own interstices or whatever you call it, squabbles. But that's a bummer when Ms. Ross can't make it, you know? Oh, he's throwing out. Is that Diana out. Ross? Diana, Diana Ross, yeah. just kind of jumped the shark on that one. I don't remember her being mentioned previously. <laughs> no. Were the Supremes maybe? The Beach Boys continued to do time? about, maybe. we did about 180 performances last year. I like to see the mop tops match that. <laughs> but what I'm talking about is forget this room. The United States is 6% of the population in the world. That's why I came here tonight with Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Muhammad! <laughs> salam Aleikum. I didn't hear you say Aleikum Salam. <laughs> Aleikum Salam. He said it. What the shit, man? 
I want to see Billy Joel, see if he can still tickle ivories. Let me see. I know Mick Jagger won't be here tonight. He's going to have to stay in England. But I'd like to see us in the Coliseum and him Limley Stadium because he's always been chicken shit to get on stage with the Beach Boys. <laughs> Thank fuck he didn't mention me. Covers a lot of ground there, doesn't he? Yeah, it does. A lot of different ideas. God, he sounds like my angry grandfather. No, he's like the uncle that shows up to Thanksgiving with like a, a bottle of tequila sunrise that he mixed himself in like a plastic jug. Yeah. And he just starts going on tangents. <laughs> you just have to like fasten your seatbelt, go along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, all right. Wow. So anyway, so yeah. So Mike Love didn't, wasn't crazy about uh, Pet Sounds when they were working on it. And I think couple reasons probably because of the instrumentation you know you're throwing out the guitars and you're throwing in like things like harpsichords and ukuleles and banjos and accordions and those kinds of things but also i think the lyrics are quite a departure from what uh they had been doing previously there's not there's no surf songs on this album right it's all very introspective i wouldn't call them love songs because I don't know. They don't quite seem. There is a lot of uh, failed love in these songs. It's a coming of age album, mm-hmm. uh, and it's and it's more mature, but it's also a little bit naive as well uh, in its lyrical themes. And you're right; it's totally different than what they've you know been doing before. There's no surfing in here. This is all just uh, a lot of inward looking, and uh, it's quite fascinating. I'm going to butcher this quote, but I saw a great quote on 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 the internet. And what they, the, the person who, who quoted it, who, who's responsible for the quote, it was a female, she said, the songs sound like somebody who is writing about what he thinks relationships are supposed to be like. Not about what relationships necessarily are, but what he thinks of a, of, as a perfect relationship. And I thought that was pretty good. That's pretty... A lot of self-doubt in here. Yeah, there really is. Um, all right, so we're going to jump into the track listing. Do we want to talk about the cover? Andrew, for for the listeners out there, Andrew's turning it around on his laptop. I, I've seen it, Andrew. Seen I have it committed to memory, and I'm ready to discuss. Okay, without uh, the for those who aren't looking at the cover, who may be driving and can't pull it up on their phone, it's uh, the five Beach Boys. Um, and actually, there's one Beach Beach Boy not here. Bruce Johnston is not on the cover. I think for he contractual was... reasons. Oh, really? I okay, believe, I, don't, um, I don't know the yeah. But the cover is basically, are they at a petting zoo? They are at the San Diego Petting Zoo, yes. Okay, and so they're feeding, it looks like a goat. I don't like the cover. I'm it's gonna, bad, dude. Uh, it's not a good cover. It's, it does not scream, this is going to be an iconic right. album. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you or the listeners out in listener land to think of a more inversely <laughs> uh, disproportionate uh, cover to the quality of the album. Like, think of a... More there iconic. may not be. There may not. You, there may not. This may be the blue ribbon on that as well. <laughs> but okay. So a little bit about the album itself. There's 13 songs on it. Um, we did mention Bruce Johnston, who I guess was a. They brought him on tour to replace Brian the year before right, on bass, I believe. On bass and probably vocals because he's got a good voice, right? No doubt. And he is on this album some. But so why isn't he on the cover? Uh, I think at the time, uh, and I. I don't know all the ins and outs. I think he was with another record label, whatever his previous mm. incarnation was uh, in his life. But uh, okay. I think that's what I understand. And he he is very critical of this album cover as well. 
What does he say about it? Is he just pissed off he's not on it? Let's see. I could I could pull that up for you. <laughs> pull that up. While you're doing that, though, um, this album did eventually go double platinum. It didn't go gold, though, for a long time. And it was not promoted by Capitol Records. They did not. They didn't understand it, so they didn't put a lot of promotion money into it. And if there was ever an album that had to really grow by word of mouth and by grassroots, this is it. And it had probably a couple of the biggest champions in the music business, though, to no help doubt. it along. One of those is Paul McCartney, who basically said it was the greatest album he'd ever heard. And um, that's what he said publicly and privately. He and Lennon talked about trying to top it or at least come up with something that would equal it. And so that really uh, led to um, Sgt. Pepper. So a lot of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was released in 67, the next year, was um, trying to, uh, I guess, live up to, for lack of a better word, um, pet sounds. Anyway, did you find anything? Uh, no, I didn't. But okay. I believe, uh, so on that subject you were just speaking about, mm -hmm. George Martin says that he believes without Pet Sounds, Sgt. Pepper would have been a lot less of a phenomenon than it became. That's pretty much getting an endorsement from from the top. It's no small feat to have inspired Sgt. Pepper's so singularly. Yeah. And to be fair, I think Brian Wilson said that Pet Sounds was inspired by Rubber Soul, which was uh, the Beatles' Rubber Soul album, which was released a few months before this. So you, you definitely see this sort of transatlantic um, competition. They were both label mates. They were both on Capitol Records, of course. All right, so 13 songs. Um, each song on the album has its own Wikipedia page, which I think is... Yes. I think that also just speaks to how um, universally loved this album is. And so, I mean, just sort of the back end of this, uh, the album wasn't really successful. Brian goes on to spend several weeks working on Good Vibrations, which of course right. becomes becomes massive. And then he starts to sort of spiral downward from there. Um, of course, he had Smile that uh, uh, was his next project that was ultimately abandoned. But really this, in many ways, you could say this was really his apex. I mean, like, uh, at least creatively, I mean, I think Smile is great, right. but I don't think Smile really lives up to a true follow-up of pet sounds it's just yeah uh, well good vibrations is actually that's that's amazing. one of my favorite beach boy songs if not my favorite that and, might be my favorite too um if you if you think of like the promise that 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 uh that single would seem to indicate it it would indicate that he was moving on to even greater things but i think by the time smile uh was being recorded he was just slipping further and further into his, uh, his his mental issues, and I think that's what derailed Smile. But by all accounts, um, there are a lot of folks out there that are that think that that could have been his magnum opus, even greater than Pet Sounds. But it didn't end up that way. It ended up kind of a hodgepodge. Yeah, and then you know, a few short years after that, we get songs like this. So the. That's that's from that's from Beach Boys Love You from 1976. The 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 decline was steep. <laughs> I think is what I'm getting at. The decline was steep. But before that, though, Pet Sounds. So Ringo Starr is said to it's it, it said to have uh, 
quoted himself as saying uh, that Ding Dang actually inspired Octopus's garden. So the arms race continued. I'm kidding. He never said that, just for the record. All right. So, so before we get into the album, do you have anything else that you want to cover just on the background? I mean, anything else on maybe on Mike Love? Um, By the way, okay, so Mike Love filed a lawsuit in the early 90s. 1994. 1994. Right. To get songwriting credit, not for any of these songs, though, uh, right? No, I think he did, as a matter of fact. Um, On this one? Oh, you're, yeah, you're, um, I think you're right. Probably, if, but I, I believe it was somewhere in the number of like 34 uh, some odd tunes. So how does that work? So like, do you just get like a lump sum check in the mail or a bunch of back, or do you just, or does it start from there? I imagine they settled. Uh, and, okay. and, I, and the thing about a settlement is it's always off the record, and that's, that's what uh, mm-hmm. keeps people guessing. And the reason it's always off the record is that they don't want to, you know, inspire copycat lawsuits or they don't want to become uh, kind of a, a deep pocket money grab for, for other folks. So gotcha. um, we don't actually know how, how much where how they much landed on that. Yeah. All right. So he um, he sued for some of the songwriting. And I know that there were. I mean, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. I'm sure there were probably some legitimate songs that he probably deserved a little bit of, of mailbox money for, right. for lack of a better word. But it's funny that he spends 10 minutes ripping Beatles, the Supremes, <laughs> the Rolling Stones. Just some minor names. And then Muhammad and, Ali. And he and moves Muhammad into Ali, other, uh, other venues. Billy Joel. And then sues his own bandmates <laughs> a couple years after that. So... <laughs> Um, all right, so we're going to get into it. Um, here is the track listing for Pet Sounds, nineteen sixty. Came out May May sixteenth, nineteen sixty six. Side one opens with a song maybe some people have heard of. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice? So you, and then it goes into "You Still Believe in Me." That's not me. Don't talk. Put your head on my shoulder. I'm waiting for the day. Let's go away for a while. And it closes side one with Sloop John B. Side two opens with God Only Knows. I know there's an answer. Here today. I just wasn't made for these times. The titular pet sounds. And then Caroline No. And that's it. 13 songs. I always prefer like a, a balanced six and six kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the six and seven thing it always is a little unstable. I don't know. I, I, I like, I prefer the symmetry of six and six but you know okay i'm not gonna quibble about that different strokes for different folks i guess (laughs) i think it clocks in at what 35 minutes it's a pretty short it is it's compact isn't that crazy 35 minutes it seems longer i think just because of the weight of the instrumentation it just feels like a bigger bite it does it does well some of these songs feel like they go on all day yeah and i think it's (laughs) i mean (laughs) and i know we're talking about pet sounds so i'm gonna try to be very i'm gonna try to be very respectful but with every great album, there are some songs that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, there is no perfect album, is there? There might be. We may not be able to do the perfect albums. We may have to skip out on yeah. some of the albums. When we get know. back to the A's and, and get back to Brian Adams, then, then we might. <laughs> what do you cut from Reckless? Exactly. How did we do this last time? We flipped a coin. I think we flipped a, a bottle cap. Oh, that's right. We I don't did. see anything to flip. Well, I'll tell you um, what. Tell you. We're in the... Uh, the top track laboratory right aka a shack um detached from andrew's house but it is a lovely man cave i oh, wish i wish i had this set up at home thank you all right so i have 
I have scribbled heads and tails on this on this. Uh, I like camp. your ingenuity. Were you an Eagle Scout? I never made it past Weebelos. Okay. Uh, bear here. I never made bear? it past Bear. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm not the outdoors type. Like if I'm I not either. if I had to camp out on my own with just my wits for 24 hours, there's a good chance I wouldn't make it. Right. I don't know. Right. I think last time I flipped it. Yeah. Why don't you it. call it this time? No, no, no. I'll tell you what. Since I'm flipping it, you call it. All right. Heads. It is heads. It is heads. I like uh, how you had to kind of squint at it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, what a foolproof uh, and fair way of determining yeah, who goes first here. This is, again, one more time, the format. We, there are 13 songs on Pet Sounds. And before we leave here tonight, we are going to have a consensus on what our top track is. So that means that 12 tracks are going to be falling by the wayside before we get to the top track. So, Matt, without further ado, what is the first track we're nixing off of Pet well, Sounds? Well, I guess, ironically, it would be the titular track, Pet Sounds. sounds i mean the worst song on one of the greatest albums of all time not a bad place to be but uh to me this does not seem uh enough like a beach boys uh track to me uh as we know brian wilson was pulling the strings on this album at this point it was almost a brian wilson solo album uh to me to have an instrumental track with you know nary uh a trace of any beach boy on it i just feel like it didn't really fit in it's a fine instrumental track but it's an anomaly to me that doesn't fit. And um, I think in his memoir, uh, I think he said he fancied this to be a potential James Bond theme song. And I think he initially called it Run, James, Run. And you can definitely hear it. It, it sounds like one of those uh, Bond tunes from the 60s and 70s, inspired by Henry Mancini and like the Thunderball theme. It's very reverby, reverby and surfy. Um, there's trumpet and guitar fed through a Leslie speaker, which is a cool sound. It's got some cool moments on it. Uh, Richie Frost, the percussionist, plays uh, on two empty Coke bottles, which uh, it's kind of an ingenious move, and it works pretty well. I saw but, that. So what what sound is that, though, that's making the Coke bottle sound? Because I was trying to figure that out. Those are bottles? Yeah. Okay. 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 Supposedly. Okay. If Brian Wilson's memoir is to be believed. We'll give Brian the benefit of the doubt. First of all, I agree with you as being the first. The, this was my second song to lose. Oh, off. okay. By the way, do we have a safe word for uh, Pet Sounds? Oh, right. We do have a safe phrase. I, in case you didn't listen to the first episode, if if Andrew eliminates my first choice or I eliminate his, there will be a safe word that will let the other person know that, hey, you, 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 uh, you sunk my battleship. <laughs> in this case, it's 
hey, uh, don't be a beach boy. You're safe. That was, this no, was not no, my top track. No threat of that here. No, huh? no, this okay. was not my top track. I agree that it uh, it's got a cool early '60s feel to it, which is which is definitely cool. It would work perfectly in a James Bond movie. It would, and it should have been in a James Bond movie. And it shouldn't have been on this album. I it, agree. It, five minutes ago, I was talking about how this could have been cut down to six and six. I think you'd eliminate this song and. You got it. You yeah. got it. I mean, yeah. I'm not opposed to instrumentals on an album necessarily, but this one, it's, it's uh, I don't know. And, you know, again, this is 2023 years listening to this. Maybe in 1966, maybe it, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was something that people dug a little bit more, but it sounds like elevator music. Right. No, that's a good, that's a good call. So, um, all right. So we'll cross off. That was that easy. Sounds, that was. Do we want to talk about the Wrecking Crew at this point, or are we going to wait? Sure. Let's. Yeah. Let's go ahead and because it is such a huge part of sure. this sound. Yeah. So the Wrecking Crew was, and I, I mentioned it at the beginning, but the Beach Boys were really a garage surf band for the first half of the decade, and it wasn't until like '64, '65 that uh, Brian Wilson started bringing in uh, other musicians, and it wasn't that the I think that the the original Beach Boys members were incapable. But I think Brian, I mean, I, I think just from a strictly economy, when you want a song done, you want it done in two and a half, three hours. And I think it would have taken those guys several, sure. several yeah. hours to get some of these songs knocked out. So I think in the, in, just, from a, just from an economical standpoint, getting um, some professional musicians in there to knock some of those songs out, uh, was probably the right way to go. And then I think by the time you get to pet sounds, you're dealing with you're dealing with strings, you're dealing with complex arrangements complex from arrangements. Brian Wilson's psyche. Uh, and you know, just from a practical standpoint, the Beach Boys were on tour. So I mean like at some point something has to give. So they brought in the wrecking crew, which was a famous uh, collection of musicians that performed on a lot of Phil Spector tunes. Yeah. I mean if you look at their if, if, you know their musical IMDb. It's it's off the charts. Yeah, you got, you got on it. you got the birds. You got Paul Revere and the Raiders. You got Simon and Garfunkel. This is a a, a band of ringers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Basically, an all star band. And um, Hal Blaine, I think, is the most probably the most famous of the yeah. Wrecking Crew. He was the drummer. My Carol favorite Kay. though is Carol Kay. Oh gosh, she was great. And I guess I'll mention now that like uh, Paul McCartney said that um some of his favorite parts of pet sounds were the bass sounds these were like bass parts that were not like any bass parts you had heard up to this point that just play the root note and uh act as part of the rhythm section the bass uh sounds in this album are really out front very melodic and um you know they came from brian wilson's head carol Kay played them perfectly and paul mccartney said that the bass sound inspired a lot of what he did on on uh Sergeant Peppers. So I think it's not unfair to say that Carol Kay truly inspired Sergeant Peppers to a large degree because who knows how these bass parts would have turned out in in less capable hands. It's true. Carol Kay, I'm looking her up. She's still with us. She's, she is a phenomenon. She she's probably she's 88 years old. I would love to hang out with Carol Kay. Yeah. Her baseline on California Girls I think is as as good an example as you'll ever have on just on and on good vibrations she played the bass on oh, that no doubt so yeah she's um she's a big part of it hal blaine um 
Glenn wonder, Campbell. Glenn Campbell, Glenn Campbell. Of course. Glenn Campbell. What if you got Hal Blaine and Mike Love in a room? If you'd have some fun conversations, because that dude <laughs> seems as cantankerous as Mike Love. I'm sure we'll probably touch on the, the Wrecking Crew throughout. But um, yeah. my first song is the other instrumental. It's Let's Go Away for a While. Right here, only on top track. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's great mood-setting music. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. I just, um, maybe in 1966, the instrumentation, well, obviously it was groundbreaking and something you just didn't hear on pop records, rock records, those kinds of things. And um, I'm not going to like, um, I, I mean, look, it, I'm looking at the instrumentation. Twelve violins, a piano, four saxophones, oboe, vibraphones, and a Coca-Cola bottle as a slide <laughs> guitar, as a guitar slide. You know, fast-forwarding 63 years, or not 63 years, how, how far ahead are we going here? Doing math on the fly. Oh, my God, 34, 57 years? Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> I don't know. A long time, a long time after. I it, To me, it... Um, what about you? Sure, it, it's of a time and place. I think this uh, wasn't your say. This wasn't uh, your top. Track, no, as a matter it? of fact, this was my next elimination. So we're still on the same page here. I, I think it's a a perfectly fine tune that stands up well to any of the instrumental composers of the time. Sure, uh, I think it shows the depths of Brian uh, Wilson's talents as an arranger uh, in terms of having an ear for instrumentation. Like you said, yeah, he thought this was one of his his most satisfying tunes of all time. Um, but to me, it goes back to the issue of, uh, you know, all this belies the fact that this is just another so- song on here that is not a Beach Boys song. The absence mm-hmm. of any Beach Boys um, just kind of makes it the low-hanging fruit for me. Uh, but it is a great little prelude to the powerhouse that is Sloop John B., which I'm sure we'll get to later. Oh, this this comes right before it, huh? I think it does, yeah. Yeah, you're right, it does. So this is the a second... palate cleanser. Yeah, this is the second... We've now eliminated two the two uh, instrumentals. It only gets harder from here, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, it, 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 there's a couple more, I think, that could go, but I think it, it's going to get tough quicker, uh, sooner rather than later. All right, so down, we're now down to 11. I think I'm going to have to go with, uh, I know there's an answer. Oh, wow. No safe word? No safe word, but I had this one pretty high. All right, cue that track up, All right, sir. let's do it. Safety zone. 
musically speaking, it's a great chorus. But sure. I'm, I'm curious what uh, your reasons. Yeah, are. Yeah, it's a powerhouse of a song, no doubt. It's it's a tremendous song. I think at this point in the album, it's just hard to uh, it's hard to hard to eliminate stuff from this list at this point. Yeah. Uh, and that's a and a test uh, a testament to what a great album it is. I think it's a deviation from the rest of the album for me lyrically in that it's not written by Tony Asher. It's uh, written by apparently the Beach Boys road manager. Terry Sashin, and then Mike Love comes in. Uh, originally, it was called Hang On To Your Ego. Uh, it was about an LSD trip and what it does to your mindset, um, and Mike Love wasn't down for that. And um, He'd prefer to think about suing somebody. Right, right, which he did over this song, as a matter <laughs> of fact. So I have like a quote here that just really... Look at that. Yeah, it's uh, Brian Wilson and the Making of the Beach Boys Pet Sounds by Charles Granada. It is a fantastic scholarly work on just everything about the album. I haven't okay. read the whole thing. Well, what's um? Who's the guy that wrote it? Uh, Charles Gr- Granada. But what's his um? Was he was he there? Is this just? That's a good question. He, was Andrew. he a researcher? Um, just, did he just? I, I could probably. It's okay. Yeah, let me I was just curious. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, I tell you what. This is from compliments of the East Baton Rouge Parish Library. Okay, and, and you're welcome to. I'm gonna turn this in after this show so i mean there's there's a lot of mystery surrounding why these lyrics got changed and here it is this settles it right here and i'm gonna do it in my mic love voice so the lyrics got changed from from hang on to your ego to i know there's an answer there's an answer that's right i always tried to put a positive spin on things astrologically brian is a gemini and they write through desperation i'm a pisces and i write through inspiration it's a different way of coming at it I suggested another direction to go in, and Brian didn't balk. Maybe he cared, maybe he didn't. He never said anything to me directly. <laughs> Great tune, just not a standout for me. I had it pretty high, but like, I'm not, um, I'm not gonna split hairs. So I mean, what, what number are we talking? When well, you say let's high? see. I think I had it. Actually, I'll tell you right now. I think I had it. Um, one, two, three, four. I had it right in the middle. I had okay. it comfortably in the middle. We're not too far off from each other. Uh, I think if it had been hang on to your ego, I probably would have had it a little bit higher. But you know, but we'll never know. Sure, sure. We'll never know. That's not the the track that made the cut. That's right. Um, and I'm looking at the session work. Uh, Hal Blaine played tambourine. So are there no drums? There, there's timpani, but there must not be an actual standard yeah. drum set. Which I think is a characteristic of several of these tunes. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, the yeah, you're right. Alan Mike trade uh, lead and 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 uh, lead verses. Brian's there in the chorus, and Carl's backing. All right. So next one I have is Caroline. No, I thought you were gonna say Ding Dang. When you say Ding Dang, do you mean <laughs> whatever that trash was you played earlier? That. <laughs> <laughs> just just keep it on cue, man. Just keep it handy. It's a good call and response there. You know that that uh, was written by uh, Brian Wilson and Roger McGuinn. Roger McGuinn from the Birds. The the same. Jeez. Oh, so Caroline, no. Here's here's a little bit of Caroline, no. Caroline, who took that look of 
Heartbreaking. You have a handkerchief? <laughs> no, dude, it's a it's a heartbreaking song. I have no issues with the lyrics. I think the lyrics are are great, and it is it's a real tearjerker. It's been I don't know. It's just skip. I don't know how else to say it. It's it's just one that um, maybe it's because the lyrics are a little too, you know, they're they're very uh, they're very um, it's emotional. It's so melancholy. It's very melancholy, and sometimes you don't want to hear that. I guess maybe right. that's maybe that's and it this is the anything. closing track on the uh, album. Am I? It is. It is. I think this is the closing track. I and I think it's a perfect closing track. I think okay. it's. A, I think it works really well as uh, as an album closer. But um, man, it it yeah, it'll it'll bring you down. Maybe it's like when I hear the Beach Boys, I want to want to hear something a little bit more, you know, upbeat, maybe a little happier. I mean, it's not a bad song. It's just not. Nowhere near my favorite. I didn't hit your uh, safe word, did I? No, not by a long shot. Okay. Uh, did, where did you have? Yeah, that this one? one's this one's. I'm I'm on the same page. Uh, it's just kind of okay for me. This was actually released as a Brian Wilson solo before That's the right. album came out, which is uh, interesting. Uh, it, it was number 214 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, which is Dude, surprising. That's, that's shocking to me. Yeah, that's pretty high for this tune. Yeah, um, this hit. 32 on the u.s billboard hot 100 which is okay. also i don't know maybe that's maybe that's right where it should be yeah. i don't know um but I, this has to have been so if you're saying that this was the first single off of pet sounds this has to be their lowest charting position in a long time sure yeah because after their big run in the early 60s into the mid 60s you know not that they were number one number one number one but they were definitely top 20 this is not the banger that the the world was expecting from the Beach Boys. No, and um, you know, if I'm a Capitol Records executive, I'm I'm sort of sending them back to the drawing board, like, yeah. like you did your boys Aerosmith from last episode, <laughs> and you're like, no, boys, isn't gonna cut it. Yeah, lyrically, um, it fits very well with does. the album. I think um, it, it's about growing up, coming of age. It's about a guy who wanders, uh, wonders if uh, he and his former flame could get back to simpler times but it's clear that she's grown up and changed and it's actually a uh, very personal to tony asher apparently he wrote it about a former flame who moved to new york to pursue a dancing career and kind of changed in the process like the city changed her quite a bit and her name was carol and he wrote the tune it was called carol i know but brian wilson heard it as caroline no um it's I've okay always, i've always thought it was better as carol i know yeah i agree in in the Brian Wilson lore, there's some bastard named Seymour that hits Brian Wilson in the side of the head with a lead pipe uh, and uh, rendering him 98% deaf in one ear. And so I blame a lot of stuff on Seymour, like what what could have been if Brian could hear could have heard in stereo and what could have been if Brian had heard this, this track uh, correctly. I'd always heard it was his dad that knocked his interesting you know that's that's more believable than the seymour story sadly <laughs> i've never heard about seymour i heard it was that well-adjusted father of his wow that uh that knocked some of that hearing out I, but i don't know that would not surprise me yeah we'll, we'll uh we'll double check that yeah we'll we'll fact check leave a comment if you know the, the, you the true story if it's seymour versus murray um i should mention though that i am playing the mono versions of all of these songs in, tr in just out of respect to brian i 
I will say that I think the stereo versions that were done after the fact are superior. Just as my own thought. Okay. But uh, but out of out of respect to uh, Brian's original vision, we are doing the mono version. Yeah, so and I think I think the mono. preference for mono was possibly a result of him only being able to hear in one ear. He That's I think right. he's said to have mentioned that it everything was already mixed down to one channel for him. Yeah. So he had four channels to work with for a lot of these recordings, and it involved a lot of bouncing of the instrumentation over to one track. So you had to kind of combine everything onto one track if you wanted to create a new track. So he did a lot with um, you know his monophonic, his own monophonic way of perceiving things. And uh, it's kind of funny. I think Bob Dylan is said to have uh, mentioned that you know like they, they should uh, he should will that ear to the to the Smithsonian when he's dead. So. Uh, it's quite a thing, you know. This guy, this guy did a lot with that that one ear. And uh, actually, I, I I think I read that his you know his kind of way of speaking out of one side of his mouth. Um, a lot of he said a lot of people think it's like a result of a stroke or something like That's that. That's what I but thought. It's because he's speaking out of the side that he hears on, so that he can hear himself better. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I never yeah. knew that. I always thought he had had a stroke. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. A yeah. lot of people do. But yeah, that's the story. That's wild. That's wild. Right. Um, okay, Matt. All right. Balls in your court. Yeah, I think I've. You know, this is this is going to get tough as we move along here. Yep. Safe words will be used at some point. Maybe not right now. Maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe not. I'm going to have to go with you. Still believe in me. Ooh, Andrew's giving me a look, y'all. If y'all could only see this. This was look. number two. Whoa, are you serious? Oh, this is a tough wow. one to lose. All right, here, wow. but here we go. All this right. is you still believe in me. better have some you have some explaining to do sir <laughs> I know perfectly well I'm not where I should be I just noticed that that's an edit I've been very aware you've been patient with me getting uncomfortable you're, in here you're you're on the stand all right great tune let's just start off with that this is a great tune and okay. this is very much uh part of the coming of age theme of pet sounds lyrically and instrumentally i think this fits is like it's it's a perfect pet Sounds song uh there's 13 musicians on here um the narrator's marveling that his lover has remained loyal to him despite his failings uh make no bones about it what a gorgeous intro the piano and the vocal musings that are like steeped in reverb. Um, and then there's like, I don't know, maybe I'm talking myself into like putting this back on the list, but like it's too late. You've the damage really, has been done. The damage has been done. Um, keep digging that, yourself into a that, hole. <laughs> that moment where he says, I want, I want to cry is just achingly beautiful. Like what an amazing moment, huge harmonies. Uh, Paul McCartney has made no 
bones about what a fan of this song he is as well. Apparently from Paul would be driving along with his kids in the car and there are so many false starts and stops in this song that make you think the song's over that Paul would apparently like uh, tell his kids, wait, wait, here comes the ending and then they'll believe him and then it comes back on and he gets a big laugh out of it coming back on. So that's just kind of an interesting personal moment. Just uh, Can we hear the outro before I... Um yeah. Before I give my thoughts on it. Just so I can rub your nose in what a terrible decision you just made. The bicycle horn, if you had just said the bicycle horn, I think I would have given you, I would have let you off the hook. You kind of said it. This, if I had to put pet sounds into one song, or maybe there's maybe one other song that maybe is a better description of pet sounds. But if I had to sum up pet sounds with one song, it's this song. Like this is, yeah. this to me has everything that we love about pet sounds in one song the harmonies the his voice his vocals in this song are uh kill me every time the the intro just the creative way of of plucking the piano strings with with reverb just that beautiful introduction the lyrics are kind of what i was saying at the beginning of the show with you know like this is a guy who uh wanted to write an album about relationships but really what it is it's an album about what he thinks relationships should be i mean i think this song really sums that up and i think it's just gorgeous like if 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 i had to put together a song of maybe my favorite songs of of the 60s this is probably on there or it's really close to getting put on there but hey that's what this show is it's a consensus it's it's not what your opinion of the top track is it's not what my opinion of the top track is it's where do we land at this where point it just it's it's gonna get personal i mean <laughs> uh not in a contentious sense but just that sure. it's song you know favorite songs it's just a it's a personal thing it's every Absolutely. it's very personal to people but uh i do like that you referenced the piano in the intro uh it's just iconic and i love that i feel like the, this was a sound in brian wilson's head that he tried over and over to capture and he finally captured it by having Tony Asher pluck the strings with paper clips while he held the chords down on the piano and what a sound say what you will about Mike Love but he and Al and and Carl and Dennis together man you just can't find better harmonies than that Mm-mm. did you do a lot of research into how they recorded the instrumentation and then the vocals i was i did a little bit of research into that i was fascinated by it yeah uh, i think I think the vocals were, when they were complex harmonies like that, they had to capture them on eight track. They were mostly dealing with four track, bouncing the instruments over to a, a single track so they could record more instruments. But with the vocals, it required like an eight track machine that I think only a few studios had at the time. I think maybe one of the studios had some Disney equipment. One of the, they had an eight track machine. Um, but yeah, when you got into the the vocals, it was a more complex game, from what I understand. Yeah, they had eight. They had eight tracks. They would put. They would bounce all the instruments 
onto one, which that to me sounds like a huge undertaking because sure. you have 13 or 14 instruments, but then you're yeah. going to balance all those into one. Like, and you have to commit to that mix. If you're bouncing you it to one, you, you can't, can't, can't take change anything it out. Yeah. yeah. Like one. And for, for those who aren't, aren't, who aren't totally familiar with the recording process back in the sixties, you were dealing, like you were saying with four track, sometimes eight track. And so each track was in its own separate interest instrument. And then you had to make once, room. once you, yeah, once you committed that to uh, its own track, and then started recording other tracks separately. You, yeah, you would, you couldn't go back and undo that unless you basically started the whole thing over. So, for them to get fourteen or fifteen instruments down to one, and then free up seven tracks for vocals, seems like a, uh, uh, you know, stressful process. Yeah, I can't imagine how you do that because what if you re- down the road if you realize you know what I don't like the bicorn. We got to lose the bike yeah. horn. You can't do it. Got to re-record it. Got to re-record the whole thing. And what a testament to Brian Wilson. You know, the Beatles had George Martin to worry about all this stuff. Right. But Brian Wilson was producing this album, not only writing the songs That's and right. humming the parts to each of the players who were used to charts at that point because they were professional musicians. He's humming them these parts out of his head and producing. And I mean, in terms of like two and one, I mean, here's a guy that is like, the Beatles and George Martin rolled into one. And that's that's pretty impressive. He didn't have anybody to... I mean, yeah, he sure, he had musicians where he could bounce some very rudimentary ideas off of. But as far as production, he didn't have anybody to really bounce that stuff off. It yeah. was all... And I think with the challenges with four track and eight track is that you had to really map out... And the Beatles have talked about this with Sgt. Pepper. You had to map out the song well in advance of recording it to know how you were going to record it. Absolutely. Now it's so easy with Pro Tools and with Garage... You You and I can do this with GarageBand. Yeah, Yeah. it's totally different. And you can take one track out easily or lower lower it in the mix. It's not a big deal. But back then, to lower one instrument in the mix meant you had to think about that from from the beginning. So anyway, that's a hell of a undertaking for a 24-year-old or a 23-year-old. I mean, I think he was 23. No, you're right. I, f- I forget that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, this is a young dude that's been, um, you know, writing on songs ear, about with one surfing. Ear. Yeah, with yeah, one, with one ear. ear. <laughs> what have you and I accomplished? <laughs> yeah. I mean, aside from this marvelous podcast I mean, uh, yeah. with two channels, by the way. Uh, right. We're not bouncing anything. Um, okay. All right. So You Still Believe in Me is, is scratched off and is now, am I uh, I'm on the podium? It's you, my friend. All right. Uh, This was a tough one, but um, this is one I actually kind of expected that would be knocked out earlier, but it wasn't. It's Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder. Mm. Here we go. song's so nice, they named it twice. That's right. Come 
Look, this song is great. No it's, doubt. It's a really good song. And uh, we didn't get to it, but there's a part towards the middle, towards the end, where he says, listen to my heartbeat, and you hear this thumping yeah, bass. Right. I don't know. It's really, it's a really cool effect. And I, you know, reading about this song, one of the things that gets mentioned many times is just how complex it was harmonically. And I uh, can't disagree with any of that. I think it's uh, these, but you know, one of the things about this album that I think I can understand why this album was not just an instant classic overnight because it is so complex that 1966 ears probably couldn't process yeah, a lot it's of not this palatable stuff. yeah it there are um it doesn't sound like you know surfing usa and it doesn't sound like in my room and it doesn't you know it's like it's, it's fun 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 it doesn't yeah it's like it's a very intricate album and uh, i think that's what that's why it's it's listed as the number one album of all time on so many lists but it's also why um, I think that it had a lot of pushback at the time. I mean, this song is great, uh, but I think that it's you have to hear this song, I think, 15 or 20 times before you get it. And nobody mm-hmm. does that anymore. You listen to it once or twice, and if you don't get it, you're, you're on to the next thing. That's true. You have to be an active listener to enjoy some of these t- tunes, you, no You really doubt. do. Um, but anyway, that's those are my thoughts on it. it it's a hard one to lose. And the, the real... Uh, the crux of our format is knocking out songs like this one. So It gets tough sometimes. It does. It really does. Um, it's interesting you chose that because this is actually, this was going to be very next on my list as well. So okay. we, we match up perfectly here. Okay. Um, this is a real slow burner of a ballad, man. I mean, this is like a, a like go park on the lookout point, overlooking the valley kind of song. Very melancholy. Um, it's got some great vibe to it uh and what would you say the the uh lead instrument is on this tune Mm. having just heard it but gosh uh well the timpanis are out front but i don't know i think Uh, it's the the, bass the bass yeah which is uh the case for a lot of these tunes and it was uh what an interesting artistic choice you don't hear that a lot Uh -uh. and it's a testament again to how awesome Carol Kay is. Um, yeah. But yeah. Not, not palatable. No. Not, not palatable. <laughs> not at all. When you're leading with bass. It's, yeah, and this is kind of one of those valleys in terms of like if you're uh, you know looking for the, the hits, this is not one of them. This is not mm-hmm. one of them. Um, Brian's lead vocals are just ethereal uh, subject-wise. It has a very like in-my-room kind of vibe, which is actually one of my favorite Beach Boys tunes. Um, I just like how inward-looking it is. He's the only Beach Boy on this song, by the way. It's him. He's Is the only right? vocal. Yeah. Okay, so there's no Beach Boys on this one. Mm-mm, just huh. Brian. Okay, he's I didn't lead, notice that. He's lead, and I don't know if there's a lot of overdubbed backing vocals. It doesn't. Now right. that I'm no, thinking that, about that it, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I think it's just him. Maybe he's double tracked, but I think that might be it. Again, it's it's one of those uh, songs that is not a Beach Boys song at all. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, it's, it's a Brian Wilson solo tune. Uh, apparently, there's a um, there's a Linda Ronstadt cover um, on her album Water Light, Winter Light, and uh, 
a Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp cover, which... Uh, of this song? Yes. You don't have to twist my arm much to go listen to Linda Ronstadt. I love her. She's a national treasure. She really I think we is. we can agree on that. Yeah. For... All right, so you're up. I think so. And I'm going to have to uh, knock off uh, That's Not Me. No safe word? No safe word. Okay. This was this was high on my list, but not uh, not too high. All right, here we go. That's not me. You, you heard it me. there. Um, these are actually some of my favorite lyrics on the album. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a journey of self-discovery. It's like a hero's journey um, to realize that he, he goes and finds himself or, or goes out and thinks he's finding himself, but he ends up realizing that everything he needs is back home. This fits lyrically with the Pet Sounds motif perfectly for me um, in terms of it being a coming-of-age tale. Uh, relatively speaking, there's less ornamentation on this and orchestration. It's pretty straightforward. The basic track is Carl, uh, a Beach Boy on instruments uh, on twelve string guitar. Oh, so they let they let one of the Beach Boys they play on this one. Did and I think I read somewhere that Dennis is on drums. He comes in on the toms uh, towards the middle bit there when it starts um, kind of needing some propulsion. And boy, does he really propel this song in a way that a lot of these songs are lacking well so was Hal Blaine drunk in a corner of the studio or something like how did Dennis Wilson get how did he get the nod yeah man that's one of the great mysteries of rock and roll I don't think we'll ever know um but you know it's good it's good to have some of the Beach Boys playing some instruments on here now it is now Carl um he's so self-defeating he'd go on to say that uh it really wasn't appropriate for us to play on those uh Pet Sound songs the tracking just got beyond us but man that's no way to be i think it's just so much better when you include beach boys in it you think he's just like is he just sort of on team brian with that like just looking out for his older brother kind of thing that could be that could be um yeah but great tune interesting key changes going on there I really like it, but at this point, we just we really have to start cutting some stuff. What are your thoughts on this tune? Um, I, I like this one a lot, actually. I didn't have it. Um, I didn't have it a whole lot higher than where it is right now. I think uh, this is one of the ones that. I mean, so the this album bounces from melancholy to optimism. Those kind, you know, it, it definitely goes back and forth maybe optimism is the wrong word, but it goes from melancholy to bouncy mm-hmm. and back and forth. And this is a little more of a bouncy song. And I, I kind of like the bouncier tunes yeah. on this album. Absolutely. And so and that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of like this one, but I didn't have it 
it's you're, we're definitely not in any danger of, of eliminating my favorite on this album, but it's I do like it, and I'm glad they were able to give Mike Love a, a lead vocal. I mean, you know, he um, uh, he he really believed in the project and <laughs> believed <laughs> in what's right. <laughs> yeah, one of only two lead vocals I think on this album for him. I think he's only got one other lead vocal. Yeah, on this that's one. too so. too many by some people's standards. <laughs> All right, I think it's back to me. Yeah, it is. All right, so we are now down to one, two, three, four, five. By my count, Matt, I have five songs left. Is that what you show? The next one that, um, and this is going to be, this is probably in some circles would be considered sacrilegious, but I am eliminating I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Here we go. You know what? I'll say this. Every time I eliminate one of these songs from this album, I just find myself going, "Man, why did I? Why did right. I? Why did I put this one there? Because that's a great song. I, I I love this. And actually, I was saying earlier that you still believe in me really epitomizes the album. But this song may even do it better. I don't know. Like it's if you were to if you were to describe the album in one sentence, you would say I just wasn't made for these times. Probably wouldn't you? I don't know. Great lyrics. Uh, and this is a, a great um, use of the Wrecking Crew. I mean, this is Wrecking Crew at full force. Um, and uh, a, just the composition is about as strong as you're going to find. And, you know, nobody else in the rock world was writing songs like these. So anyway, it's a great song. But... The reason why I have it ahead of some of the ones coming up later is because it, I don't know, it's, um, it still feels a little bit, I don't know, it, 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 it's not my favorite. I feel like you hit the nail on the head. I, I also have written down in my notes here, this is the most pet sounds of the songs on this album, in my opinion. This is the perfect manifesto for Brian Wilson, where he's at as a musician, um, as a person. Uh, as a as a guy trying to create an album here, um, very introspective lyrics that are melancholy. They're like a reflection of self doubt. The narrator's trying to fit in. He's he's dealing with depression, possibly leaving people behind. This is him at his most vulnerable. Man, there's like mm-hmm. haunting, multi-tracked vocals from the Beach Boys that are just like 
butter on this one. Like you said, creative instrumentation. Uh, this is where he brings in the theremin at the end, and it's mm-hmm. just like super haunting. I feel like this is the most autobiographical of them all. You know, at this point in his life, his marriage to Marilyn is strained. Uh, he's experimenting with drug use. He's slipping further into mental illness and paranoia at this point. Um, and then he comes out and tells us, like, he's very sad, like, three times, man. Sometimes and, I sometimes, feel very sad. Not all the time. But, like, it's so funny, like, okay, a lyric like that, like, sometimes I feel very sad on the page it sounds kind of goofy. Yeah. But when you hear him sing it, it's... Who would write such a thing exactly. three times on the page, like you said? It but would then, look goofy. It, but then when you hear it, it's like a punch to your nuts. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Now my stomach hurts. You know how, how yeah. that happens? Yeah. I'm about to like throw up here. Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting vocal technique in the song uh, where he does like these kind of counter vocals. It's like kind of a call and response. Uh-huh. And this is what one of them is saying. Ain't found the right thing I can sink my heart and soul into. I feel like this is like we're hearing him finding something that he can sink his heart and soul into and it's the pet sounds album so Mm, like you said man this is this is definitely the most pet sounds album on this uh song on this album Uh, yeah it's definitely this is the one that like this is probably well this has probably been the title of of memoirs autobiographies this is on the tombstone. Yeah, you know, right. I'm saying like this is Good just point. you know, it's this, could this be is an epitaph, huh? Yeah, this could yeah, epitaph. But as as it is Them's the breaks. We gotta, <laughs> gotta cut some shit from this list, man. Yeah, man. He's not so, making it easy at this point. No, and just um for those keeping score at home, we uh we now have and actually I was wrong when I said we have five. We now we, we now we have five. And we have three from side one and two from side two. And I think we're about to start. It's going to be, we're, we're about to start cutting some gems. It's about to get uncomfortable in here. Yeah, it's going to get real tense. Some safe words may get thrown out. We don't know. Um, we're, just, we're flying by the seat of our pants. Andrew has point. turned the air conditioner off in here. It's a pressure cooker, y'all. No telling what's going to happen. We're next. under the spotlight. Um, all right, and if you hear that buzzing in the background, that's uh, that's Mike Love getting ready to sue one of us. Um, okay, all right, so we're down now to five songs, and you're you're on deck, sir. Okay, um, I'm gonna have to go with "I'm Waiting for the Day." Gave you love with a brand new star That's what you needed the most To set your broken heart free I know you cried and you felt blue But when I could I gave strength to you I'm waiting for the day when you can love I didn't want to fade it out. I know. It's a good song. It really is. Um, this is 
co-written with Cousin Mike, by the way. So okay. Credit where right. it's due. Okay. And uh, it's a great throwback and reminder of some of the great Beach Boys songs of old, I feel like, in terms of the groove. Yeah. It's got um, that bouncy, positive. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Exactly. This is one of the bangers on the album, mm-hmm. I think. I agree. Great timpani work and tom work. Um, and this song kind of like starts off triumphant, then fades into delicate parts with like organ and flute, mm-hmm. and then returns to more like triumphant motifs. And it it's alternates between delicate and vigorous at times, which is really fitting of the lyrics because he's like vacillating between him reassuring her and him being defiant at the idea of losing her. And it's got some of my favorite lyrics on the album. There's like this moment at the end where he's like screaming at the top of his lungs. It's like closest we get mm-hmm. to a punk moment yeah. from Brian Wilson where he's like, you didn't think, no, that I could sit around and let him work. Yeah, You didn't think, no, that I could sit around and watch him take you. It's very defiant. I love this moment. It's yeah. one of my favorite moments uh, on the album. And then there's some great string arrangements in this that are just incredible in terms of the chord structure and the harmonies. It just makes me want to be a better musician. Yeah, um, I mean it's no ding dang. It's not, do you? I've never heard ding dang. Can you remind us? It's no ding dang. I heard that was co-written by Roger McGuinn. <laughs> yeah. um, we were talking about um, what was song were we talking about? Uh, Don't talk was like a lead bass. This is almost like a lead timpani. It's yeah. the, the the drums, the percussion is so out in front, which is I think a, a, a really cool choice. And it is it is it's a powerful song. It's it's really good. And um, if Mike Love had to sue to get credit for this one, then you know, I guess he deserves it. But um, it, it's a that's a really good one. It was in fact when I when I first bought this album and listened to it, when I first listened to this album several years ago. This was, I think, my favorite song on the first pass. Oh, wow. Like, this is the one I really liked the most. As I grew to, 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 to uh, you know, as I grew with the album, other songs definitely took its place. But I think initially, apart from the, 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 the big hits, this was the one I liked the most. Sure. It's got a vibe to it. It does. It really does. Um, all right. I think it's back to me, and we're now down to four songs. Tis. All right, so I, I actually have to refer to my notes now because I don't remember. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You getting rid of good vibrations or ding-dang? <laughs> um, Sloop John B. Oh. Yeah, here we go. We come on the Sloop John B. I didn't hit a safe word, did I? That bass. Drinking all night, got into a fight. Well, I feel so broken. I wanna go home. So hoist up the John B. Sail. See how the mainsail sets. Call for the captain. 
All right, so spoiler. There's nothing wrong with this song. It, uh, it's perfect. It, I love the instrumentation. The vocals are incredible. The only thing I have against, the only knock on it is that it doesn't fit with this template or this motif or whatever you want to call it of this sort of loss of innocence, coming of age, which is a recurring theme with all these other songs. It just doesn't fit with them. It's, a, it's an old folk standard. Um, it's great. I mean, the instrument from an instrumentation perspective, it definitely fits, but lyrically, it doesn't mesh with the rest of the songs, and that's the only knock I have against it. Because as far as like, I mean, this is this is as good as it gets. It's a great song for me. It, it's, it sticks out like a sore thumb because it doesn't fit with the other songs. That's my only that's my only Absolutely. knock against it. Absolutely. And I will say, um, this is actually my favorite song on the album, but I know it's not the best song on the album. And to me... Is this your top track? This is number two for me. And I totally 100% agree with you that this is not... This is the least Pet Sounds-like song on this album, but it's the most Beach Boys-like song. So I'm torn because it has like that great Beach Boys vibe to it, and it was put on there at the insistence of Al Jardine mm-hmm. who enjoyed uh, the Bahamian folk song that it's based on which apparently became like kind of a national anthem uh, in Nassau, Bahama mm-hmm. the first recording was by Alan Lomax so this goes back a long time and who would have thought that you could turn kind of a Bahamian folk song into such a jaunty uh, little banger Al Jardine really had to fight for this one and uh, was a little disappointed that Brian didn't give him the credit that he was due in really uh, causing this album to come to f- this this song to come to fruition. If you remove this song from the album, you have a lesser album. There's no question about yeah. it. Yeah. But you also have a more cohesive sounding album. You have much more of a concept. Yeah. But like you have, but you're probably the album doesn't isn't as great without it as it is with it. So I, mean, I think I think. Ultimately, you have to sort of agree with the decision to put it on there, but you also have to sort of think. It's like, should Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields have been on Sgt. Pepper? I mean, that's a bit more apples and oranges. I don't know. I, I think it's a it's a fascinating what if, if they had decided to leave this off of there, keep it to 12 songs, and have it much more of a cohesive-themed concept album. Yeah, but on the flip side... Um this was one of the first singles to come out, and it came out before the album was finished. And apparently it gave Brian Wilson a lot of courage to continue mm-hmm. along the path that he was going on. Mm-hmm. So it was incredibly successful. I think it reached number three in the U.S. and, like, number one in Europe and Asia and all kinds of places. It was a smash hit, and it really just gave him the confidence to continue on. But ironically, mm-hmm. it gave him the confidence to continue on a path that was less and less Beach Boys-like. But God, what an incredible song. One of my favorite Beach Boys songs of all time. For sure. Uh, Incredible harmonies. And uh, to your point, Charles Grenada, who wrote the book, Wouldn't It Be Nice? Brian Wilson and the making of Beach Boys Pet Sounds, Mm -hmm. says this, uh, that... Sloop John B.'s inclusion on Pet Sounds destroys the notion of Pet Sounds as a bona fide concept album, um, and that it just doesn't sit well alongside the personalized themes of the other songs. So you hit the nail on the head. The guy that wrote the book 
on this album agrees that this stops it from being a concept album essentially it's okay i mean i uh, you know you could have written the book <laughs> charles is a very wise person especially since he agrees with me um <laughs> i'm stopping short of saying take it off the album because i'm definitely not going that far because yeah. i love the song now what would have been interesting way of doing it is just to have it sort of as a uh, placeholder single in between what was the album they did beach boys party right and then pet sounds so you have it sort of as a standalone single kind of like what they did with yeah kind of like what they did with uh penny lane and strawberry fields and then you have pet sounds but you're not selling i don't think you're selling nearly as many albums and then we get into the cynical sort of commercial part of all of everything i'm definitely not saying it should have been excluded but it does sort of corrupt the concept album theory or whatever you want to call it and i don't know i'm not even sure it's a concept album i'm not even i'm saying that sort of i think it does kind of hold together pretty well until until you get to that song and that song is a side two closer which or side one closer which i think is i think is interesting i don't think i would have had it as a closer i think i would have had it as maybe side two opener okay yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's, it doesn't feel like a closing. I don't it know. It doesn't, especially after that instrumental. Um, yeah. It's just going a completely different direction. Yeah, I think it makes a great side two opening. But sure. You know, but they didn't consult me for the track listing. <laughs> believe it or not. That's their loss. That's true. <laughs> All right, so we're now down to three. That we are. And the ball is. It's in your court, sir. It's in your court. Wait, it's uh, no, it's in your court. Wait, you did? Oh, that's right, you did. You're, slip John you're, you're on the you're on the stand. Oh man. Okay, then uh, I offer up here today. All right, so I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go rogue here, and I'm gonna f- skip ahead to the bridge, which I think is yes, please do fucking incredible. chills yeah man that's a chill moment it is and i have written in caps fantastic bridge three exclamation points andrew (laughs) wow three great minds think alike yeah i think it's a testament to what a great song this is that it survived this long on both of our lists yeah for sure i love it um that bridge is like when when carol k starts hitting those 16th notes on the bass it's like a an ennio morricone spaghetti western soundtrack and it comes at you from nowhere but you know this track's going to be kind of special because it kind of has a good vi- good vibrations vibe. Bass with the organ. It just sounds so cool. And there's a very, like, I can't imagine what his thoughts were when he finished with this one. But, like, he must have had, he had to have sat back and said, I nailed it. Because that's such a great yeah. song. Oh, no doubt. And it's, this is just an album filler. Great lyrics. Uh, great the, instrumentation. Uh, the lyrics are like this amazing kind of, 
cautionary tale from the perspective of, of a jilted lover mm-hmm. who's telling the new lover, like, uh, of, of his ex-girlfriend that, look, it seems excite, exciting right now, but, man, things are going to change. Just you wait and see. You're going to be... You're going to be like like I am now. You're going to be jilted. Um, and Carol Kay, man, like just... It's... it. That was never a, a single. That was never any... That was just a just a, a random song on an album. It is, and it's a great one. Um, but I, I love it. Is that... So who's singing lead vocal on that one? Is that... Is Let's that Mike? Uh, yeah. That's got to be uh, Cousin Mike. Let's see. I'm, Cousin I'm, Uncle Mike. Cousin Uncle Mike. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, lead is Mike Love. There you go. Yeah. All right. We're down, down so to two. So sh- the show's over, right? Episode's over. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Thanks for yeah. listening, Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We we did it. We accomplished it. We really did. We got some stuff. Uh, well, we didn't. We are. We still have two songs. And is it my turn? So again, just like with last week, I now have the dubious honor of basically picking the last two. Oh, it's true. my turn that, again. That's how it shook out last time. Man, we have Wouldn't It Be Nice? And we have God Only Knows. <laughs> Some and, minor, yeah, minor little tunes. Yeah, minor tunes. Um, wouldn't It Be Nice is the side one opener, album opener. God Only Knows is the side two opener. Um, I'm Your going call. with, my call is uh, I'm taking Wouldn't It Be Nice off the list. Did I hit your safe word? You did not. This is crazy. Holy we shit. We have proven our thesis on the sophomore effort of our of our podcast That's here. right. All right. So without further ado, the second to last, the second top track. What's a better way of saying that? The penultimate. The penultimate track. So this uh, hit uh, number eight on the Billboard Hot 100, which seems like a travesty. Low. Yeah, it seems like low. a travesty to me. Hit number two in Australia, number four in Canada, 12 in New Zealand. Uh, number doesn't give a chart listing for the UK, but it uh, was certified gold, which is an accomplishment. Um, and this is... This feels like the whole band kicking ass. All five members, six members, I guess if you count Bruce, are involved. Uh, it sounds like a, it sounds like the Beach Boys, kind of like what you were saying with um, Sloop John B. It just feels like a Beach Boys song. Uh, 
one of the things that I thought was fascinating, I was doing a little research in it, was that uh, the original lyrics were, um, uh, they in, he inverted the opening lines. So originally it was, what's the line? Um, wouldn't it be nice if we were older, then we wouldn't have to wait so long. Wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? The first line was, wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? And then the second line was, wouldn't it be nice if we were older, then we wouldn't have to wait so long. Okay. So, which follows a very standard, I mean, that's, you know, very typical, but I think by inverting those two lines just gives it a cool different feel to it uh it's great it's it's uh two and a half minutes of just fucking kick-ass rock and roll yeah two and a half minutes man and it uh it never drags it's great it's a great song and it's um it was the second single off the album and um no third third single if you count caroline no so caroline no sloop john b and then wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be nice would be the final single from from uh pet sounds but yeah Mike Love. Mike Love. Mike Love got a, a songwriting credit along with Tony Asher. Um, later, though. Later. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if I could have my just royalties due? Uh, anyway, that, that was his. That was his attorney's uh, closing <laughs> statement in the federal trial. Actually, it feels like a Mike Love song. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. It feels like he would have contributed to this one uh, along along with his NASA hat and tuxedo. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Uh, man, you know, it, it's amazing that we came this close on this one. Uh, apparently, this was the B-side to God Only Knows. Can you imagine a more power-packed A and B-side on a, on a 45 single? This was the B-side? That's what my sources are reporting, Andrew. Okay, well, you, nobody has more journalistic integrity than you do, so... There's only I'm... about uh, five and a half billion people that have more journalistic integrity than I do. So yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I love the iconic intro. There's like apparently a 12-string Mando guitar played by Bernie Kessel. It's like a one of Is that what it is? It sounds like a harp or something. I know. I know. Apparently it was made by Gibson, though. So Mm. there's some, uh, you know, listeners, check me out on that. 12-string Mando guitar. Barney Kessel. Barney Kessel. There you go. The Kessel Run. The the famous Kessel Run. Uh, it's got 16 studio musicians. Like you said, it's short, but man, it is grandiose, isn't it? It is. I, I can't think of a, a, a like a, a shorter song that has more uh, orchestration going on than that tune. And this is Wall of Sound. I mean, like this. If yes. You're, if you're trying to pinpoint what is the Wall of Sound, this is the Wall of Sound. This has a lot of like uh, Ronette's "Be My Baby" vibes for sure, and I think. Um, uh, it, it fits with the motif and of the whole album. It's about childhood hopes, you know, not having to seek parental approval about, you know, getting into a relationship. It's just, it's innocent. It's kind of naive, kind of simple, but I like it. it. It works for this album, works for this song. It, it, it is a darn shame that it didn't achieve greater than number eight on the Billboard charts i feel like they're far shittier songs that did way better and that's that's sad man um so that means there's only one left there's only one left and it is fitting that the final song the top track if you will top track top track it is fitting that the top track is perhaps one of the greatest songs ever written right ever recorded uh, and that's not coming just from us. That's coming from a lot of people, including Paul McCartney uh, and several other notable musicians who have, who, have, who have given it that title. But here it is, 
God only knows. Right here, only on top track. to cut it off there but yeah i'll let the last 30 45 seconds uh play out as our our outro music there you go. our closing music i'll let the carl wilson this is like carl gets lead yeah he doesn't That's get great. he doesn't get lead I, I don't understand why he doesn't get a lot of lead or why he didn't at this point because his voice is so Angelic. yeah really is and i've heard um versions of this sung by brian wilson like he did sort of like a guide vocal version of it you maybe you've heard of it too or heard it too and brian wilson's voice is great but it just it doesn't have the soaring majestic quality that carl's does this song inspired here there and everywhere this song inspired a good portion of sergeant pepper i mean there's nothing else really to say it's 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 phenomenal song and it definitely deserves top track status reportedly paul mccartney's favorite song of all time um and uh it is the finest song off of one of the finest albums of all time that's not saying nothing and i i love that carl got the lead on this you know he seems like i could be completely wrong about this but he seems like a sweet guy who's kind of overlooked in the beach boys you know he's not the first beach boy you think of and his voice um it does kind of sound like brian but like you said there's something different about it that makes it just he just stands out it's angelic yeah um this is such a rock and roll odyssey okay it's baroque style it's got god in the title i mean what what other songs famous rock songs have god in the title there are probably a few listeners are probably going to correct me on that it ends in these hauntingly beautiful rounds, which I think you alluded to and which we're going to play uh, in a minute. And the lyrics are kind of enigmatic. It's like a profession of love, but it's also like kind of a tale of codependency. Um, yeah, I may not always love you. But it starts off with, I may not always love you. Like, what yeah. kind of love song is that? And I think people think of it as like a sweet song and probably played at their weddings like they do the police uh you know every breath you take but this is a, a deeper song and i think people should be cautioned before using this as their first dance i agree i agree no it's um but that's what i think makes it so great is that the lyrics are a little bit um like there's some nuances there and it's it's definitely not um in your face uh straightforward you have to really i mean there's some 
it's a little vague and i think that's what makes it cool it's it makes it makes it sort of it makes it hard to figure out but yeah you're right i mean everybody from from in the last 60 years has put this in their wedding as part of their wedding music i mean it's because it's god only knows i mean but um but yeah you're right it's um on the surface it is uh, a, a testament to um you know being in love with somebody but uh, when you listen to the lyrics you find out it's really a little more to that but it's great i mean it's yeah. uh definitely fits the bill as the top track um I'm not disappointed in us that we didn't come up with something different because, like, how could how could we have gone with anything else? I think else? this was leading to one place. I think yeah. this was going down this road. There was no other way this could have gone. I agree. But uh, uh, number eleven on Billboard's um, another travesty. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's crazy. That the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Number eleven on Rolling Stone's greatest song. Oh, of all okay. do you feel like that's too high or too low? I feel like that's oh. Too high or too low? I mean, should it be? I better? bet you. I I bet you it's probably appropriately placed. I'm guessing that the top ten are just are songs that you would say, okay, yeah, yeah. that deserves that deserves to be above it. But I couldn't imagine putting it any lower than that. I couldn't imagine it being less than eleven. I'm guessing yesterday is above it. You know, yeah, or sure. Blackbird, black, uh, may, maybe even something like "Smells Like Teen Spirit." I mean, I'm guessing sure. there are probably the the ten songs in front of it. We'd probably say, okay, yeah. It, the it's Rolling weird. Stones staff probably did their research on the issue. <laughs> we'll, Who are we to say? We'll trust. We'll we'll trust that they they know what they're doing. We're in a bubble here. Yeah, that's Rouge, true. Louisiana. That's true. That's a good in a point. Shed. That's true. <laughs> lab. Let's right. lab. Sorry, right. lab. Let's lab. That's what I said. Let's okay. Let's say lab. <laughs> Well, I think that brings us to uh, the end of our show. So uh, we hope you have enjoyed listening. Where are we? I guess we're on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you'll find us. CompuServe, Prodigy. Uh, we will probably have things like uh, Facebook pages and Instagram accounts and those kinds of things that you can also go follow us on and like us. We will be back next week with Letter C. We don't know what we're doing yet. We don't that even makes know. it exciting for yeah. the listeners. We've got seven days to figure it out, so hopefully we can do it. But uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is replacing your, uh, your theme music, if that's okay.